Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yow, more snow? I just got the, we're getting more snow? Okay, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. That does not uh, presage uh, anything positive that I have begun singing uh, before I've even said hello. Hello, it's uh, February 10, and uh, I'm Lynn Cullen, going to spend the next hour or so with you. Uh, talking about stuff, mostly in the news. Um, first order of business, obviously, yesterday's uh, impeachment trial, or the argument that the trial was, in fact, constitutional. <clears throat> I have to tell you, I mean, I, I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been said. I was transfixed by the house managers, every one of them. Uh, it, it was like a, a tutorial. I, uh, they were great teachers. I, you, you, there was nobody who couldn't follow everything they were saying, as opposed to Trump's lawyers, where following that would lead you into, uh, God, despond and despair. Um, I don't know what to say. That the, the video that they put together, that 13-minute video, uh, was absolutely an extraordinary document, and it will live in history. And when people watch that later, years and years and years from now, and then are told that the Republicans voted to exonerate this president, the contempt they will feel, the disbelief they will feel, for these members of the Senate will be, I, I mean, off the charts, right? I thought what was so brilliant about it, we had seen much of it before, but it was put together in a timeline. And because there were three things happening at once, there was Trump, at his rally, there were the people attending the rally who began to peel off as Trump continued to speak. The earlier uh, brigades went for the Capitol building while Trump was still rousing the rest. And so you saw that he's still talking. They're still, they're moving onto the Capitol. Inside the Capitol, business as usual. On the Senate floor, on the House floor. And when you see that time 
line. What was happening? When it was happening? And it becomes such an indictment, such a clear indictment. Oh, oh wait a minute. I've lost my... Um, I'm sorry. I'm a little discombobulated. What else is new? Uh, brilliant. I mean, just flat out brilliant. I understand that uh, some Republican senators didn't look. They kept their eyes down, doodling. One won't be surprised to hear the names of some of them. Senator Josh Hawley, who was one of the major instigators and provocateurs and peddlers of the big lie, he <laughs> got up and went uh, to the cloakroom. What cowards in every way. I don't know how they sleep at night or how they look themselves in the mirror in the morning. I truly can't figure it out. Front page New York Times today, a quote from Ted Cruz. After, after, the video after the arguments, after the vote, which said in no uncertain terms, it was perfectly constitutional for the Senate to sit in judgment of this president. Ted Cruz said this. And remember, he's a juror. And he swore to be a juror, to listen to the facts. And he said this, the result of this trial is preordained. President Trump will be acquitted. That is such a condemnation of Senator Cruz of any and all the Republican senators who will do what he says they will, acquit Trump. And again, you ask yourself, how do they sleep at night? How do they look themselves in the mirror in the morning? The result of this trial is preordained. If that were a juror in any other trial, that juror would be dismissed, right? That juror would be dismissed. You're out of here. Jamie Raskin, just brilliant. And and the thing is, you know, um, his ability to bring in his personal tragedy, 
was well done, did not seem, you know, sometimes when people use their own private tragedies for, to emotionally hook you, um, it can seem exploit, exploitative of that tragedy. And it did not seem that way. From the time <clears throat> that I learned of his son's suicide, um, I was just blown away that he was at work the next day. And not just at work, but this work. Think of how he had to leave his grief behind and focus on this awesome responsibility and how he rose to the challenge. This is a man who can sleep at night. He was brilliant. He was human. He was so clear in taking us through each step of the process. He destroyed Trump's lawyers before they even got out of their seats. And speaking of Trump's lawyers, oh my God. So, Unfortunately, this Bruce Castor belongs to Pennsylvania. Wow. I noted that uh, Mother Jones, uh, the lefty magazine, <clears throat> suggested, didn't suggest, they flat out called him a former Pennsylvania attorney general, which I don't think is true. <laughs> I don't think he ever rose to more than a mere county prosecutor, right? And he, I don't know, I, I actually started to think he might be um, on drugs. I mean, it was as incoherent, embarrassing. I, I had to, I had to, I couldn't look after a while. I, um, I want to thank Bruce Castor for uh, allowing me to get something done that I have been putting off literally since the pandemic began. I cleaned my oven while he was meandering his way through one non sequitur after another. I cleaned the oven and he was just sort of this background noise, but man, I got stuff done and I do want to thank him. Can you imagine Will he be back today? Will he ever work again? <laughs> Would anybody say, hey, I know a great lawyer you want. This Bruce Castor guy, he's amazing. I mean, he's got to be finished. I've never seen such an epic fail. In, in such on such a huge stage. I, I never, never, never. Um, 
I mean, he actually was seemingly half the time helping the um, the prosecution. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he started by calling himself the chief prosecutor. I'm sorry. <laughs> he didn't even know what he was doing there. And then the other one, who looked good just because he wasn't Bruce Castor, was also so dull, so boring. And then at the end, so lunally emotional and angry, and then subjected everybody to this lousy Longfellow poem, which he read badly, and, and, and brought himself to tears. I, I was crying earlier. Castor uh, brought me to tears. Uh, Longfellow, in a different way, could bring me to tears. But, jeez, God, unbelievable. <laughs> I thought, it just occurred to me, that the, the most damning thing and I think it's how they ended the uh, video, was after showing the carnage, what had happened, the terror, the violence, and interspersed, of course, with what Trump had, had said. They showed when Trump you know, who'd been forced to make a statement. And and then, of course, he says, you know, essentially very fine people on both sides. <laughs> Again, he was just totally, you know, go home. I love you. You're wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. So still telling them you're patriots. And then there was that tweet, and I think this is how they ended it. Because even after that, and after it was known that people were dead, Trump tweeted the most horrific tweet, which he later deleted, but you can't, you know, sorry, it too is going into the history books. I wish I had the whole thing here. I just remember the last line. Remember this day forever. Now I can see myself saying that. A day that will live in ignominy. Remember this day. The day when our capital was defiled by our own people. But that's not what Trump meant. He was telling the defilers, you done yourselves proud. Remember this day forever. Oh, God. I'm uh, actually looking forward to uh, today's uh, uh see what they're going to do today. I do understand that there will be more video and, and video that we have not seen because it'll be video that 
is taken from the Capitol's uh, security cameras, which of course, uh, you know, they have access to, and uh, we do not. And uh, so that'll be a very different kind of a view of, uh, of what happened inside the Capitol that day. Um, <clears throat> forgive me for my, my voice. <laughs> I mean, everything is, uh, you would think it was hay fever season, the way I'm, um, why can't I get this on? Go away. Oh God, I so, I'm sorry guys, but I just so hate, so hate this mail server. Um, Milt wrote me um, during the coverage and he says as i watch it occurs to me that perhaps the kansas city chiefs shouldn't take their super bowl loss so harshly apparently theirs is not the only defense that failed to materialize this week <laughs> after jamie raskin's presentation bruce castor should have asked for a recess until tomorrow or until next year, or until he should have just said, no mas, I'm out of here. Instead, you know, he did, he got up and he said, geez, man, that was really good. It was so good, I don't know what to say. And then he proved it. I just, it was beyond belief. It was beyond belief. Oh, man. A little Tony reminds us, it's been said before, everything Trump touches dies. And he'll still get away with it. You know, I, I, uh, yeah, I guess so. If you have, you know, I give you Ted Cruz's line, it's a done deal. We're not listening. We're not taking our responsibility as a juror seriously. Uh, we're going to sit and watch this compelling slam dunk evidence, and we're going to acquit him. But he will not be acquitted by the American people, because we're watching too. And he will not be acquitted by history. And these Republicans and their, I think, just extraordinary fear. That's all that motivates them, fear and lust for power. That's it. And they're making their calculation. And I think they're making it wrong. But who knows? So if Raskin and the others continue to do this slam dunk job. I don't think there's any doubt that there will be more Republican senators who simply can't look themselves in the mirror anymore, who simply can't sleep at night, who will vote for acquittal. I mean, who will vote for conviction, excuse me. I think there will be more. I don't know if there's any way they can get to the number they need, but this could be a much more substantial vote 
I'm holding out hope. And for me, the inveterate pessimist hold out hope is in itself, I suppose, noteworthy. My gosh. Let me move on to some other stuff, if you uh, if you don't mind. <clears throat> we were talking about uh, Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, and his his uh, announcement that he is running for the seat being vacated by Patrick Toomey, a Republican senator who will vote for conviction, I'm quite sure. Um, and you know, these other Republicans who are retiring, like Shelby of wherever, Alabama, I think, or, I mean, there's nothing keeping him from doing the right thing. I, I, I don't know. But back to Fetterman. There's a big piece, maybe some of you are aware, as I, was, I vaguely remember this. There's a big piece in the New York Times today, and the headline is this. Police reports from 2013 shows Senate candidate pulled gun on black man. Uh, the Senate candidate they're talking about is John Fetterman, and he did pull a gun on a black man in 2013 when he was the mayor of Braddock. Uh, it's clear that Fetterman is fully aware that this would be something that was going to come out because he was totally prepared. He refused to talk to the New York Times. Instead, he emailed them a five-page document with contempt, you know, with news accounts, um, and um, all the information that he could give them. But he said, I, you know, I have, there's nothing more I can say about this. But in 2013, if you don't know, and here's how the Times tells it, when he was mayor, he used his shotgun to stop an unarmed black jogger and detain him until the police arrived. And when the police arrived, he told them that he had heard shots fired near his home, spotted this guy running. And the police report says this, Fetterman continued to yell and state that he knows this male was shooting. That's what the police report said. There was no gun found on the jogger, a guy named Christopher Miaris, who was 28 years old. There were no weapons at all. He was wearing running clothes and headphones and um, he was dressed, well, here's what Fetterman says. He says he was outside his house and he heard, quote, a crushing burst of gunfire. And I immediately made a series of split-second decisions. Fetterman's account is that he saw someone dressed entirely in black and a face mask. This is 2013, too. A face mask 
running in the direction of an elementary school. And he said, you know, it was near the anniversary of the Sandy Hook shooting. And he said, wow, I made the decision to stop him from going any further until the first responders could arrive. So he told him that he jumped in his in his truck, his pickup truck, and he used the 20-gauge shotgun he kept in the truck to hold the guy until the police arrived. Now this, I'll tell you right now, it just occurred to me. Fetterman could peel off a lot of Republican votes with this story, <laughs> right? What? Fetterman drew a gun on a black guy? Are you kidding me? He keeps a shotgun in his pickup truck? Whoa! He's quoted as telling WTAE, I believe I did the right thing. I may have broken the law <laughs> in the course of it. I'm certainly not above the law. Well, no charges were filed. No, no uh, police complaints were lodged. The jogger never, never uh, pressed charges against Fetterman. Uh, the cops never found any evidence of guns going off. Um, so who knows? I mean, I'm serious. Who knows what happened? Uh, Fetterman always says, you got to put this in context. This was during a spate of gang-related gun violence in Braddock. And... Um, and when he heard what he assumed were gunshots, he was outside his house with his four-year-old at the time's son. So who knows? I don't know. And uh, not that this has any, it's just, um, and a postscript is, the jogger is currently residing in the Somerset, uh, in the state prison in Somerset. Um, because the New York Times tried to get interview him and he was unavailable. <laughs> he's in jail and he's in jail, uh, charged with multiple felonies. This is from two, more than two years ago, long after this incident with uh, Fetterman. Uh, but he was uh, charged with uh, kidnapping for ransom, making terroristic threats and reckless endangerment, whatever. Anyways, currently, uh, as I said, incarcerated. So there it is. Man, Fetterman, this is going to be such uh, the news media is, gonna, is going to be drawn to John Fetterman almost as much as they're drawn to Donald Trump. Because in a different kind of a way, he is somebody who attracts eyeballs. And eyeballs is what? media are aiming for. And Fetterman knows it. So uh, there you have it. That's the, uh, the latest. Hey, do you need a laugh? 
I mean, I laughed out loud, and I laughed again when I, I mean, it's one of you, sometimes when you see something that makes you laugh out loud, you know, and then you go back, and you, you sort of smile, and then you go back, and, and you don't even smile, and like, oh, okay, okay, this is laugh out loud over and over and over again. If you haven't seen it, you gotta um, Google the uh, Texas lawyer cat zoom meeting cat lawyer i don't know what'll get you there but oh my god if you haven't seen it and it it's hard it's hard to describe um because it's i didn't know that you're able to do see i'm 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 out of it but apparently you can have like a, you know, what do they call that? Some something uh, instead of your face on a Zoom meeting, you can have a, um, well, like an animal, and and the animal's mouth moves, and and so you, anyway, it is the funniest thing you've ever seen, and uh, what you see is a cat. <laughs> I can't describe it. Um, I can't describe it. It is the funniest thing ever. Funniest thing ever. So please look it up. The cat at one point tells the judge, this is during a hearing and you know, it's being done remotely and the cat actually says to the judge, I'm not a cat. <laughs> God, you can't make it. it is too funny. Okay? Just telling you. You need a laugh and you haven't seen it. This is a must see. Must see. <laughs> oh God. I wanna I wanna watch it again a million times. Um, what else I got here? Oh, um, for readers of the, uh, oh, let me, before I change, I'm, let me get some emails in here. I'm sorry. This is so disjointed. Uh, Chuck tells me there was a story yesterday, uh, on the Tribune site saying Connor Lamb may run against Fetterman. Yeah, he's definitely thinking about it. And, you know, then you would have the, you know, clean middle of the road. Uh, I mean, he would be a good candidate. There's no doubt about it. So would Fetterman. The, the more, um, The more risk takers, uh, the a risk taking type would prefer Fetterman, but people who and the Democratic Party around here seems to be always run scared, um, and the scaredy cats in the Democratic uh, establishment will probably prefer Connor Lamb because you know he looks <laughs> he looks like everybody else, and he looks like a senator. 
Whoever saw a senator that looked like God? John Fetterman. I mean, my Lord. All the more reason. I think Fetterman would win in a landslide. I really do. I really do. Um, we have a caller. Go ahead, please. Hey, Lynn, it's Jonathan. Jonathan, hi. Uh, hi, let's talk about something serious, uh, the cat video. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners, if they go to okay. YouTube and... All, all, all you have to say really is lawyer cat, and and okay, you'll, you'll, lawyer, lawyer cat. That, that's all you need. And ah. it doesn't matter how many times now I've watched it, I cry, laugh, I cry. And so listeners who aren't familiar with this, with, with Zoom and with some other technologies, you you can have an an animal or whatever be your head, just like you you described. But the, the brilliance of it is not only does the mouth move, but the eyes, the eyes, <laughs> I know. The eyes move side to side. If your brow furrows, the cat's brow furrows. And the, the lawyer who sounds older is obviously struggling with this. Yeah. And he says, oh, my assistant's trying to help. And of course, the funniest line is, as you said, I am not. I'm live here. I'm not. <laughs> and the judge pauses and says, um, "Yes, I, I can see that." And the judge being so straight, laced oh, about the whole thing. Perfect. And the, and the I, other guy in the screen seems just disinterested. I know. Um, and the the other part I love is that the attorney slash cat says, <laughs> "I'm ready to proceed." <laughs> or I'm ready to go on with it. <laughs> Forget the fact that he's a cat. He's 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 ready. He's I'm prepared. ready to go. Right. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I'm not, I, oh God, it is so friggin' funny. And I guess what happened is he wasn't. This was his secretary's laptop he was using. Yeah, and like she that. must have had this. Uh, and, and and you know. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's perfect. You couldn't have scripted it any better. And it's one of these <laughs> that is going to go down as, you know, top it's, whatever viral. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the listeners, it, you got, you got to watch. It's, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> I'm assuming that most people have seen it. It just has to be, you're right. The, yeah. One of the biggest uh, viral sensations ever. One of the morning shows like I had on this morning said, "Well, every TV show in America is playing this this morning, and, and of of course they're they're right. Uh, but it's 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 great. It's it's hilarious, and it's one of these things that okay. So you know, at least COVID is giving us something pleasurable <laughs> once in a while. We wouldn't have had it without it. <laughs> no, we wouldn't have had it." No, I'm imagining the client who maybe was the client of that attorney who, you know, what if they had so much riding on this case and they, they're watching it <laughs> and there's their attorney who is now feline. <laughs> you know what? Bruce Castor might want to use this technique. Well, you, know? you said that because I said to a friend of mine yesterday, and please forgive my language, 
I said, Trump's lawyers might, you know, watch that cat video and say, well, we were bad, but at least we weren't pussies. Uh, so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that is, I, I, mean, I mean, just talking about it makes me, I know, I just uncontrollably grinning ear to ear. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did send it to a friend of mine who's an attorney and who's very technologically challenged. And she yeah. said, Jonathan, that is funny, but it made me break out in a cold sweat <laughs> because that's oh. her fear. <laughs> Oh, well, oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful stuff. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Okay, a lot of, um, I want to take uh, time to note uh, that one of my favorite reporters at the Post-Gazette is saying, I can't take it anymore and leaving. And uh, that is the feature reporter, Diana Nelson Jones. She is uh, and has been just a delight. She finds those stories, um, you know, in the neighborhoods, on the edges, and she's such a great writer. And she resigned. She, uh, she can't do it anymore. And it has to do with what has happened at the paper. Um, and she says she's been pretty much despairing for three years, um, ever since the paper published that awful uh, Reason as Racism uh, editorial on Martin Luther King Day. Um, and... She says, my interest in the Post-Gazette was eroded by many things, by the paper not looking like the paper I loved. It wasn't the paper of Bill Block Sr. or John Craig or David Shipman. I always said I was going down with the ship, but I didn't know the ship would be hijacked. And the last straw was um, when one of the blocks, Susan Block, tweeted on the day, was it the day of the insurrection? It, it might have been. And I don't know if you ever uh, saw it, but Susan Block, said this on Twitter, all capital letters, no peace, no unity, no concession, no legitimacy to a stolen election. There are 70 million Trump supporters who will not fall in line. There will be no healing. We will drag this ill, it must have been after Biden's inauguration. We will drag this illegitimate president, his whore vice president, and all of the Democrats through the same shit they dragged President Trump and his supporters through for the last five years. That did it. That did it. 
she said, I'm out of here. So it's sad. Diana Nelson Jones, a really, really incredible reporter on what used to be a hell of a newspaper. Damn, just damn. Hey, did you see Mark Cuban, Mount Lebanon's own Mark Cuban, um, who uh, owns the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA, has, you know, uh, as the owner said, hey, this season, we ain't playing the Star Spangled Banner at the beginning of our games. We're not doing it. No reason to do it. I don't know why we ever did do it. We're not doing it. So that gets rid of one difficult situation for players and others. We're just not doing it. And as far as I know, that is the first owner of a major league team to to say that and i don't know how much the the nba and i'm gonna sneeze i can't believe it hang on oh boy there Oof. um i can't i i don't know if like major league baseball and the nfl mandate that you have to play uh the star spangled banner before uh games but the reality is I've often, I've always wondered why we do. Um, you know, think of all the other entertainment venues you go to. I mean, because as we're talking about, sports is an entertainment venue. And I mean, you don't go to the movies or to a concert or, you know, anything. And, and before you start, you stand up and sing the Star Spangled Banner. So whenever this, whatever, it's not something that has to, it's not what happens necessarily in other countries either. It's just, yeah, it is an effort on the part of um, those in power to, you know, do inculcate this kind of patriotism when they got a bunch of people stuck in one place, I guess. I don't know. But it's getting, and it has been getting for years, increasingly um troublesome right anyway good for mark cuban is all i want to say um do you know not that i give a damn really that it looks like palm beach is back and down and they're gonna let you know who live you know where Yeah. So this agreement he signed that said he wouldn't take up residence there for more than I can't remember how many weeks at a time. I mean, now they're saying, oh, uh, we really don't want need to pick a fight over this. He wants to live there. He can live. So it looks like he's going to be able to. That's one. One jurisdiction that's uh, no longer gunning. Uh, for him. God almighty. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, 
Barbara is telling me that uh, political advisor uh, to Barack Obama uh, says that what the Republicans are scared of is Trump starting a third party. Well, look, you know what? I don't give a damn what they're scared of. (laughs) There are times when if you cannot move beyond your fear to do the right thing, for your country, then you uh, better be prepared to go down in history uh, in a place of shame, of true shame. And the whole party might go. They're so worried about their party, it's unclear who's going to own that party. Now, you know, what's her name? The the QAnon idiot uh, says that it's quite clear that the party belongs to Donald Trump. And, you know, a reckoning has got to come. Uh, and, And the reality is, is a lot of Republicans acknowledging that the party is now the party of Trump have left. There was another piece I saw today about uh, in the last month in Pennsylvania, 10,000 plus Republican voters have taken the time to switch their affiliation to independent and or Democrat, not and or Democrat. Um, They cannot avoid the reckoning. So I don't see how you don't get a third party forming at some point. Uh, If you let the Republican Party be the Trump Party, then you're going to have to create another party for the, you know, old time Republican no taxes, you know, what stands for conservatism in this country. Um, And neither of those parties are going to, I mean, that obviously then bifurcates the power that was held when the party was, you know, united. But that's where they're heading. There's no way they can get around it. So you might as well, I don't know. I don't think I would, um, I don't know. And, you know, the the, the shot uh, across the bow could maybe start with enough senators voting to convict Trump. Let's say Mitch McConnell votes to impeach him, I mean, to convict him, and others do as well. That would be an indication that they are saying we are making a stand to take this party back. And in that case, yes, maybe Trump would then form his own party. But forming a party takes work. Do you know, do you have a sense of Donald Trump wanting to work? 
He does like to do rallies, so maybe that would be the way it would go. I have no idea. I have no idea. But there is no getting around the reckoning, even though, obviously, they're still trying to get around uh, the reckoning with even this trial. Eventually, the reckoning's going to come right, right to your doorstep, all you Republicans. Ansel Wright, I wasn't able to listen live yesterday, but I want to say how much I enjoyed yesterday's show. What did I? Oh, clearly you touched a nerve with the Jeep ad. And you had many callers and emailers contributing to the conversation. And it's a rare occasion where I join the show with one opinion. And by the end of the show, my opinion is completely reversed. I went from thinking Springsteen was a disappointment to thinking he was brilliant. So (laughs) thanks for that. Well, I I just knew it was a good subject because, you know, we are all singing out, out of the same book all the time now, right? So it was fun to, um, to hear all these different uh, points of view. I I still maintain, I mean, I can't help it. I reacted the way I reacted. And there was a piece in the Post-Gazette today by Scott Mervis about the the blowback that Springsteen's getting uh, for it uh, because I'm not alone um, in in my negative reaction to it. you know, I again, I thought the timing and the tone were wrong, given where we are. Now, if all you geniuses on the other side are correct, that Springsteen wasn't talking to me. He was talking to all those Trump voters in the great middle of America. And he was telling them to come home to a middle. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But it was interesting, wasn't it? He, by the way, hasn't said anything. And, uh, and I can tell you, he's not going to do another commercial. <laughs> he... Hey, just a a heads up, because I found this and I thought, this is interesting. You know, for all you folks who listen to right wing, uh, you know, folks who um, you you, you buy gold, right? That's supposed to be the great thing to buy. I got news for you. Gold is no longer the great, uh, the greatest metal. Um, The pricier metals are the metals that are used in building the catalytic converters used in your car. And that is palladium and rhodium. And rhodium, the price of an ounce of rhodium has gone up more than 3,000% 
geez, too bad you didn't have some rhodium. Five years ago, an ounce of rhodium was six hundred forty dollars. You know what it is now? Twenty one thousand nine hundred dollars. It went from six hundred forty to essentially twenty two thousand. An ounce of rhodium and uh, palladium as well, uh, way, way up, but not quite that. So you know what's happening as a result of that? I didn't, I did not know about this. But people are breaking into cars, not for, you know, a joy ride and not, they're breaking in to steal catalytic converters now. So they then take the catalytic converters to uh, a junk yard or or something, and uh, they they get quite a bit of money because the junkyard turns around and 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 then uh, makes money off of the I don't know who they then sell them to somebody who can extract the uh, the metals from them. And this has become such a, a, a big thing that um, some people are saying part of the push to go to electric vehicles is because these the prices of these uh, of these metals in the catalytic converters are skyrocketing to the point where the prices of the vehicles are being pushed up and it's it just makes um it's becoming a bigger and bigger uh cost for those who manufacture uh cars and it's feeding this black market in stolen catalytic uh, converters I, I guess you can just get you get under the car and you saw them off, and um, it's all over the country. So I'm just telling you that's something. You, in St. Louis, catalytic converter thefts jumped more than eightfold um, in the last uh, year. Uh, Wichita, Kansas, converter. Th- Converters thefts have tripled. Uh, a guy in Milwaukee who uh, has a towing service, uh, you know, he would have cars in his lot, and he got his these cars got hit by these thieves three times in quick succession. And he says, the way I protect the cars that I have in my lot now is I actually have to deflate the tires of my customers' uh, cars, the most at-risk cars, so that the thieves can't crawl under because the thieves have to get under the car to get it. So he just lowers the cars. And by the way, people have uh, died trying to steal them because cars have fallen on them. So just telling you, in case you didn't know, <laughs> that your car uh, 
has some really serious metal in it that uh, some people might want. Um, Aaron is telling me that Susan Block's lovely tweet that made Diana Nelson-Jones say, I'm out of here, uh, also did create a storm in, I don't know why I can't find it here, uh, created a storm in uh, Ohio where she lives, and uh, she was uh, had to resign from uh, the Ohio Arts Council. Uh, so there you have it. But there, isn't that amazing? She caught, you, you had it all there. The Trumpisms, the uh, racism, uh, calling, I mean, call, calling the vice president a whore. Isn't that unbelievable? And this woman owns a newspaper, two newspapers. God almighty. I want to take time to um, note the passing of a, of a Pittsburgher from COVID who I knew and I would have been remiss in not getting around to it and was reminded uh, today uh, that I hadn't by uh, the New York Times actually running an obituary on on Ann Feeney. And now, of course, I can't find it. <laughs> Ann Feeney was a, 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 was a real force. Uh, I, I mean, she was a uh, incredible folk artist, well, musician, a writer of protest songs, a uh, lefty activist. She was a lawyer for many, many years, and she took her act on the road all over the place. I mean, I think every year she went to Ireland um, and just toured up and down, and she'd stop when she got tired and would just do an impromptu concert and whoever was there would take her in and let her sleep the night. She was an operator, uh, quite an incredible character. And her songs have been covered by big guys. Um, I don't know why I can't, but you know, as soon as I get off, I'm going to find the obit and I'm going to be pissed off, whatever. She was just 69 years old. She had been in, she'd been fighting a lot of health issues for the last, uh, God, I don't know, probably 10 years now. Uh, last time I saw her was in a church um, on the north side. And she's just, she she was so smart and just this, well, here, I did find it. Here's Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary about Anne. She was joyous and fiery in her determination to use her music to elevate those who are most marginalized and to move toward greater justice. And it was just something that was, yeah, at her core. Pete Seeger was a big admirer of her. And, you know, if there was a picket line, odds are she was on it and guitar in hand. Um, 
she was uh, she was a force. Uh, Pittsburgh girl, raised in Brookline, uh, just did a lot of uh, amazing, amazing work. Says here at the end, her first love remained the union movement, and her favorite concert locale was the picket line. She often drove hours out of her way while on tour if she heard there was a labor action. She used her music as a weapon. Well, Ann Feeney, look her up. And if you haven't heard the music, uh, take a listen. She was special. She And she was, man, talk about somebody who always showed up. She always showed up. So Ann Feeney. And you made the New York Times obit. Way to go, girl. All righty. Okay, I think I'm done. Listen, my brother wants to come back tomorrow and do a little more because he said he got robbed. And um, I got some emails from some of you that felt the same way. Uh, so I, we'll have him on tomorrow for, I don't think, the whole hour. But we'll we'll let him back on and um, and for those of you who are you know I'm sure he's a I don't know some people probably really love listening to him and some people are like what the hell? I don't know but I'm gonna give him the time he got uh, robbed of because of our technical issues and uh, geez I don't know I'm on my cell again today do you mean I'm gonna have to do the show on my cell phone all the time I don't know. Anyway, whatever, I'll do it and uh, talk at you tomorrow. And I, I'm looking forward to see what the house managers uh, pull out of their uh, bag of tricks uh, today. It's really, really like sitting in a really good lecture. And then the Republicans come on and you can clean your oven. I'm telling you. It's good. All the way around. All righty, see you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host, and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.